We have the wonderful blessing of hearing from Mr. Dick Kies today. Uh, Dick is the Director Emeritus of the Labrie Fellowship in the Boston, Massachusetts area. Uh, he has a bachelor's degree from Harvard. He has a master's of divinity from Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. Not only has he been a longtime uh, uh, employee and worker with Labrie, but he has also pastored in the International Presbyterian Church in London. Uh, those of you that were at the conference this weekend know that he both opened and closed the conference in such a great way. It was a blessing to all of us who were able to hear it. And now we have the blessing of him bringing us God's word. So, Dick, please come and bring us God's word. Well, I'm honored to be back here again. I've, I've preached here a couple of times, but as I said this morning earlier, you keep moving where you meet. So I, it's, I never know quite what to visualize where, what I'm coming to, but now I think I've got, and you're presumably not moving from here for a while at least. Um, so very glad to be here and glad to have to have been here at the, at the conference as well, because it's always a good time for us to come and uh, we're used to having being surrounded by a relatively small group of people, and here we have all sorts of people to hear us and get get feedback from and hear hear their thoughts. So it's, they're always very stimulating times uh, for us as well. Uh, I'd like to preach this morning on Aaron's blessing or Aaron's benediction. Uh, uh, probably a well-known benediction in the scriptures uh, to to some of us. Uh, usually benedictions come at the end of a service to send us home with, um, but uh, they are aimed at the future. They're aimed at sending people out having heard God's truth, having wrestled with God's truth, and, and then going out and living in the world and putting it to work. Uh, let me read this uh, in Numbers uh, 6, 27 again, uh, this blessing. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Shall we pray together? Our God in heaven, we pray that we would draw close to you to know something of what it means for you to have a face that we can know, that we can draw to, that is shined on us. Help us in this. Be with us here now and as we go forth from here. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Aaron was the older brother of Moses. I don't 
think of Moses being anybody's little brother. He's such an authoritative figure echoing down through history. I think of statues of Moses. Hard to imagine him as anybody's little brother. Uh, from the tribe of Levi, he was the voice for Moses because Moses was not too good on the, on the public speaking end of things. He was the first high priest of the new nation uh, of Israel. Uh, one of many priests to come. And priests had many responsibilities, but among them to carry the blessings of God uh, to the people of God. That they would be encouraged, instructed, strengthened. What Numbers 6 records is God telling Moses to tell Aaron and his sons the blessing that they were to tell to the people. So it's kind of a pass down. God told Moses to tell Aaron to tell this to the people. Uh, And and what he was going to tell to the people is what to pray. This is how you do it. Uh, This is what they need to understand. This is what we depend on you to get to them. Now, God and Moses did not leave him to figure this out on his own. Uh, One of the last times Moses gave Aaron a a church or a a spiritual thing to do, he managed to lead the nation into a worship service to idols. And and, uh, that was a little time before, and so he has time to recover. But you notice here, he doesn't leave Aaron a lot of room for improvisation. Uh, And in this, uh, this... Aaron, this is the blessing. Let's get it right. That's not in the scripture, but I wonder whether there's something of this. Uh, And in the New Testament, we're told we may not be familiar with taking the term of priests to us, but that's perhaps because in the New Testament, everybody's a priest. Everybody who believes is a priest. The priesthood of all believers. So this isn't just things that certain spiritual people do like Aaron as a, as a priest this is he is that but in our time all of us are to take on ourselves the responsibilities of the priest uh, to ourselves a ministry to ourselves and a ministry uh, to others so, so we too are carry, responsible to carry the blessings of God out and to ourselves and others now there's three blessings here each one beginning with the Lord as the source of the blessing, uh, as where it begins. He's the giver of the blessings. God tells the priest what to pray for the people. And he begins with a very general blessing. Um, the Lord bless you, and this is verse 24. And, and uh, I'll be going straight through this, so if you've got your Bibles open, keep your thumb in them or your finger in them or whatever, or on your cell phone or whatever, however you can keep the, the image alive. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, this is to say, uh, I'm not going to forget you. I'm not going to get tired of you. I'm not going to lose interest in you. Nor am I going to throw you away. Uh, I'm going to keep you and bless you. This is God promising his constancy to them, promise his commitment to them. We are his people. He blesses us. Uh, To him, we are keepers. The Bible is filled with themes that show how he carries this out, wonderful images uh, of God's protection. Uh, He covers us with his mighty hand. His outstretched arm is there to deliver us. Uh, 
uh, very many physical images and metaphors used to describe what God does uh, that isn't his physical hands from him but is very real uh, as he had already been doing I mean what happened what is the story of the exodus about that's God bringing uh, they, they've cried out to him in their slavery he has met them he's heard their cry he points out uh, again and again I've heard your cry I came and I brought you out freed you from the land of slavery got you across the Red Sea killed the Egyptian army and so on all of this is part of God's keeping power so they should know something about that and he trusts that they do and then the next blessing verse 25 here is, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you these next blessings these next two have two parts to them one is about the presence of God and his attitude toward you and then there's a gift that comes with that uh, in this case it's being gracious to you but first his face to shine upon you his face shining is obviously uh, about the sun it's to think of his face being like the sun uh, I, I always think with things being as cold as we have here and as the winters being as long as they are you all ought to really look forward to and take advantage of the spring sun when it does come uh, and it comes powerfully especially in contrast to the winter it will melt everything in sight that needs to be melted it will, it will warm you with its power and it will be light this is what we're meant to uh, how we're meant to see the face of God I think of it as uh, his face shining on us uh, in just text in Isaiah carrying the words of God's affection for his people you are precious and honored in my sight because I love you that's why you're precious and honored in my sight because I love you Isaiah 43 4 think of the smiles of parents on their children when their children are behaving themselves and doing well uh, and th there's something very wonderful in this uh, smiles of parents who are really connected to their children it's not just something sentimental it's not just something for a hallmark card there's love there's admiration there's gratitude there's expectation this is not superficial these are very often parents who will go to the wall for their kids so this is not something trivial so as a parent smiles knowing who they are as, as a parent should be before their children there's something very very powerful here this is what we're meant to think of with God the smile of God on his children one of the losses I think in this COVID era is the loss of being able to see the, the bottom half of our faces which means poof our smiles are gone our smiles are invisible such as they are if they're there uh, and and uh, something is really lost and something is really missed in this I think of particularly if um, if you tell something that's sort of half a joke or something like this they don't get to see your face so if they don't know it was a joke they think you might be a complete jerk to have said what you said because they don't have the message from your from the lower half of your face to whatever you were doing to indicate this is a joke don't take this seriously I think it's funny but maybe you may not but anyway don't think I'm a total jerk so we have to do the best we can uh, with with a hidden lower part of our face uh, but this is a blessing uh, 
a prayer from God that he, that he would make his face smile upon us, enabling us to see the unmasked smile of God's affection. That's what we're getting at. The unmasked smile of God's affection is what we're promised here, what we're, what's being prayed for. We're, God is asking us to pray, or asking Iron to pray for us, that, that we would see his unmasked smile for us. This, this, we have to realize the sort of complicated uh, trajectory of this prayer. Uh, this brings us also to the, gaf- the gift that he, uh, that he has, which is, and be gracious to you and be gracious to you. I remember hearing a story of C.S. Lewis. There's lots of stories of C.S. Lewis. You can never tell how many to, how many to believe. But he went to a meeting in Oxford, Evanley, uh, which was to discuss what, if anything, is unique about the Christian faith. Uh, he got there late, came in some other people who had been saying learned things, and he, it was his turn, and he uh, got up and he gave one word. Grace and sat down that's I think pretty amazing but how much in a way more powerful it is to say one word and sit down I could do that but I'm afraid I'm going to clutter it with a few more words about what grace is Uh, because I don't want to ever 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 miss the opportunity to clarify what grace is because there's no worse word to confuse and to not have a grip on than grace in the Christian faith Uh, What does grace mean? It means if someone deserves punishment and rejection because they've deserved it and are instead given blessing and acceptance, that is grace. That is how it is with God and with us. It is undeserved favor. Favor when we've deserved something totally opposite. We are given blessing instead. That is grace. The grace of God is proclaimed throughout the scripture, promised again and again through the Old Testament. Uh, But it all depends, those promises hanging together completely depend on events in the New Testament to be real and to be true and to be functional, to work in our world. It's not just a nice thing. We have a nice God who says nice things to us because we like to hear them and grace, and, you know, forgiveness and so on are nice things to communicate. It's that those are really real. Those, that those are re- realities in our relationship to God, but only because of what happened in the New Testament. They had images and, and lead-ups and sacrifice systems, all sorts of things to suggest that this was going to happen. Uh, but even... Even the disciples who spent three years marching around pitching their tent with Jesus didn't understand it until the resurrection. Peter was trying to convince Jesus, no, you can't go to the cross. No, no, you can't do that. Just days before the crucifixion. And it never came together with them for for them, even though he'd said it time again and again. He described it. It didn't come together to them until after the resurrection happened then say oh my goodness look at what happened this had to happen this is how we've been able to preach forgiveness all this time we didn't know how it could work out it's worked out but it's worked because he he died and he rose which is God saying that is the sacrifice that is needed that is the sacrifice that brings your justification but grace 
promised in the Old Testament turned out to be very costly in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote that God extends grace to us as our sin was paid for, judged, condemned, nailed to the cross of Jesus, and so then canceled. Our sin was condemned on Jesus' back as an avalanche of of, of judgment came down on him, deserved by us. We, in exchange, are given forgiveness, acceptance, credited with righteousness in the sight of God and adoption into his family. Because of what Jesus did there, we who have received it are justified as a free gift. We can't earn it and pay for it. We have no currency to pay with. I often think, being funny to myself, what if you arrive at a bank with a wheelbarrow full of oak leaves and try and present those and deposit that to your account in the bank? What? Or even if you had a truckload of leaves, even worse. Uh, what, what is the banker going to do with these things? The banker is going to say, what are you talking about? Get out of here. This is an insult to all that we're trying to do. Uh, go back and take a course in something or other. This is not legal tender. Uh, well, the problem is, see, we have broken God's rules. We've strayed far from him, and the only way we can get back We don't have the equipment to get back because we are sinners and our attempts to actually earn our way back are a greater insult to God maybe than anything we've tried to do. Um, We can receive salvation only as a gift, only as something that comes to us free and we receive it with hands that are empty. The very idea that we could earn our salvation is an insult to God. It's a refusal to accept that as a gift. It's like running around at a Christmas when you, or even in your family and you get Christmas presents. Well, I've got to pay for this. I won't take it unless I can pay for it. I don't, I'm not a charity case. I'm not going to accept this unless I can pay for it. Well, how, what a way to screw up Christmas. What a way to screw up and make it impossible to, to, be, to be given unto. But this is what it is if we, are, if we uh, resist. Jesus gives many examples, and I can't begin to give them all here, of people missing the point about salvation coming by grace. That it's an acceptance of a free gift, impossible to deserve or merit. Think of the parable, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a mini parable about those who come to God saying, Lord, Lord, and they bring their resumes and they lay out all the good Christian stuff that they've been doing, the exorcism, performances of, of all sorts of things and miracles, but they miss the point because salvation is not purchased by an impressive Christian resume. All sorts of fancy Christian stuff that you may have done, presenting this to God doesn't do it. It's an insult if you think that's earning you into the presence of your way into the presence of God. And so what Jesus said to them is, is, I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. So you refuse the grace of God and his face is turned from you. It's a very sobering, very sobering passage. I never knew you. These are people who think they've got their act together. The older brother and the prodigal son parable. How spitting tax behind the barn uh, missing out on the banquet laid for his brother who had come home simply asking forgiveness and been reinstated and being, been given grace the older brother wanted no part of anything to do with grace uh, and so he stayed out well we don't know actually uh, where he stayed because uh, Jesus didn't finish the parable uh, he took his position no 
The father came and said, but the door of the banquet is open. It's open. We want you to come. And it ends there. You don't hear. He, I, I think it's because it's totally directed at the people who are giving him an earache for missing, spending time with low-life kind of people. Uh, the, the older brother is the main figure, actually, that Jesus wants us to focus on, or wanted them to focus on. Uh, do you want to be like him? Do you want to be out behind the barn just bitter uh, at when there's a, there's a terrific party going on? Um, salvation is there for anyone to receive a free gift. Not as what they've earned or are entitled to, but only by grace. The unmasked smile of God communicating his affection to you is expressed in his being gracious to you. I think the reason John 3.16 is such a, uh, a favorite verse for so many people is that it captures an enormous amount of this whole drama of what Jesus came to do in just a few words. An enormous number of the things that are important. For God so loved the world, starts with the love of God, uh, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That summarizes so much of what the, the, the big story is all about. So the Lord, the next blessing is the Lord, turn his face toward the, the Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. Again, this has to do with the face of God. Turn his face toward you and give you peace. Prayer that God might turn his face toward us and the gift that comes with that is, 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 is peace um, it sometimes is lift up his countenance upon you some different translations it's as if God is looking down like this lift, look up his, lift his face up you, or that God would turn his face to, to, to see you I think the thing this is getting at is it's not just promising God's smile it's promising God's attention God, you have God's intention or attention. We see thousands of people smiling at us, but paying no attention to us. Just turn on your television set, open up your smartphone, not now, uh, but look at magazines, you'll see zillions of people smiling at you for your money. They don't know you and never will, but sure enough, they're smiling at you, but I hate to say it, they do not have your attention. Or you, you do not have their attention, is what I'm trying to say. You do not have their, intention, their attention. In the real world, you can tell if someone has, uh, if you have their attention, if they're looking at you at least. Um, if they're look, reading a book or looking at their phone or looking at the sky and stars, you don't really know if you have their attention or not. Uh, you sometimes have to say, hey, I'm speaking. It's me. I'm talking to you. I'm over here. Uh, and to get people's attention, to make sure they're, they're engaged. Our, our middle son, Tim, was only three or four years old when he worked out a creative strategy to get his parents to pay better attention to him when he thought that was insufficient. He didn't freak out or throw a tantrum or anything. He would just reach over like this and grab us by the chin and yank us over like this. That we would be, and we would, he would have our attention, and we would look him in the face. Uh, he did it to both of us when needed. So it was a good learning experience for us. Uh, but you see, it's easy to fear that we've lost God's attention. 
This is why waiting is so hard to do, uh, because that's what we fear, that we, don't know, we no longer have his attention, because we pray and nothing happens. We pray some more and nothing happens. And, and what's this deal about? We see other people's prayers being asked, answered. Uh, so waiting is very often hard for us. And we think God is a busy, busy person, after all, with a lot to attend to, minding the, entire, minding the entire universe. Why should he pay attention to me anyway? This is, in some ways, the very thing that David wondered in Psalm 8, this wonderful psalm when he goes out and looks on a, on a, a, a clear night, looks at the night sky. And he says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Uh, you know, we are incredibly small. We certainly seem unbelievably insignificant. We're, we're both recent occurrences and don't last long here. Uh, and also we're habitually uncooperative and ungrateful. I remember Dostoevsky's de uh, two-word definition of a human being is, is uh, someone who walks on two legs and is ungrateful. It's actually quite, a, you can pack quite a lot into that if you stop and think about it. Uh, uh, and, and, uh, uh, but, but you see, what an absolute marvel that he does pay attention to us. He is mindful of us. And, and the world, the universe is much bigger, we know, than David knew. Uh, think of what we're <laughs> learning uh, daily, uh, with this new telescope up there and so on. Um, but this blessing means that God intends to give you his attention, to make his face ready to face yours, to take you completely seriously whenever you are ready to be taken seriously. So whenever you, and this is the wonderful part of the promise to me anyway, so whenever you uh, pray a serious prayer from your heart, this is a promise that you'll be praying to a God who is paying attention, even though you may not feel it even though you prayed yesterday and nothing seemed to happen. Uh, his gift and promises is attached to this. He will give you peace. He will give us peace, ultimately. Full peace, ultimately. Not full peace now in this life, but he will start now. Peace with him, that can start now. You, Paul talks about you have peace with God since you're justified. You have peace. There's something that's formed in the relationship that can never be broken. Um, peace within ourselves. Peace between each other. Peace in the world will one day be real. Uh, and we can see steps toward it. Uh, what is promised is, just not an, is not just an absence of conflict, but is shalom. It's the great uh, Jewish word for peace which has to do with well-being. Everything running the way it, it is meant to run, the way things ought to be. It isn't an accident that grace and peace come together. It's also not an accident that, uh, that grace precedes peace. Uh, it's not that it would, wouldn't be true if it was the words were the other way around, but I think it's very appropriate that grace precedes peace. Because receiving our salvation by grace is the foundation underneath God's promise of peace. Without grace, ain't going to be no peace. Uh, there's not going to be peace that we can have access to. 
we can't have peace with God, the creator of everything, if we're running away from his rescue plan, which is built on grace. Uh, his rescue plan to save us from self-destruction. If we turn our back on that, uh, he turns his face away from us, and we don't have peace. In working on this sermon, I knew I'd heard for ages that the Apostle Paul had wrote 13 letters that are in the New Testament. Wrote a lot more letters, too, that didn't make it in the New Testament. But, but um, within the first, I would say, three verses of every single one of them, Paul is praying for them grace and peace. Everyone. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll not have to go through all 13. But you can see what they're, see what's, what they're, uh, it's, it's pared down and it's right there. Paul was beginning every one of his letters with the promise rooted in the high priest Aaron's uh, benediction. Uh, and the, the, they appear together throughout the Old Testament. But Paul is being the priest here bringing the blessings of God onto these churches, to churches that he's pleased with, that he's happy with, but also to churches that he's, that he's totally ticked off with. Uh, still, grace and peace right there in the beginning, uh, in the beginning of, of, of the letter. And to the letters to individuals like Timothy and Philemon, grace and peace at the very start. He is being the priest to the, to the people of God and to the person of God, bringing the, this vitally important wish uh, to, to them of grace from God and peace with God and with the world. So the blessings that the Lord keeps uh, and opens his face, uh, the Lord keeps us, opens his face, smiling face to us, and he is gracious to us. He pays attention to us in our search for peace and grants us that. What wonderful truths to face life with. What wonderful truths to walk out with. And know these really are true. These really are where I stand before God. But I want to, before I, uh, I finally sit down here, talk about the, the challenge this is to faith. Because the whole area of life and experience that I haven't touched, which is that... Uh, this happens in a fallen and broken world. A challenge to face is these, faith of these blessings. We are to believe, we are to trust in, we are to take seriously. They come from the word of God. They are to be lived out, but in a very bent and broken world. God has promised us love, grace, and peace. But notice he has not promised us freedom from suffering. He has not promised us freedom from terrible events from happening around us to those we love to those we care for we're not promised immunity from cancer as you've heard from the extraordinary long, long list of people in this church I guess who, who are struggling with cancer we don't have promises that no one will get cancer if they're a good enough Christian we're not promised freedom from war <clears throat> car accidents depression we're not promised freedom from hatred or corruption. We're not promised even freedom from moral failures in our own lives. We're not promised that our lives are going to be easy and our plans will always work out. The challenge to faith is how in the world do we hold us together with the promises about the face of God and the smiling face of God on us? How do we hold it together? 
keep together God's grace and peace together with the fact that life here on this planet can be a very, very rough ride. Uh, all this was fully understood by Moses, by Aaron, by anybody else who writes anything in the Bible, and certainly by the Apostle Paul, who, gave, who carried this message of grace and peace so wonderfully. And you think of John, how John, just if you were here in the Sunday school section, uh, tra- tracked the, the missionary trips of, of the Apostle Paul, and him carrying this message of the grace of God to people who have no clue what he was talking about, and yet... Uh, Figuring out where they stood, how we can communicate with them, and doing it, doing it with amazing faith, energy, um, extraordinary, the mileage he put on uh, to, to, to carry this message. But it was never, ever a message, you believe this and you won't suffer. Never, ever anything so foolish. So the challenge to faith is that we walk into the future, trusting God's grace, trying to make his shalom happen in and around us, in our sphere of influence, in a world in which we are future blind. We don't know about tomorrow. In our church, we go to it, been going for years to an African-American church, but, but uh, they have certain almost prayer slogans. And one is, tomorrow is not guaranteed. Uh, the other prayer is, thank you, Lord, for waking us up this morning. You didn't need to wake us up this morning, but you did. Uh, but that, that's a wonderful perspective to approach the providence of God with because we're not owed tomorrow we're not owed tomorrow think of James writing that you can go and find you're going to go to this place and, and make money and so on instead, no don't say that say, say instead tomorrow we will live if God wills if God wills we will live and go and make some money um, but so we don't know what tomorrow will bring and, and tomorrow itself isn't guaranteed. But the people in the biblical story live this in this tension constantly, as we all live in it constantly. I, don't want, to, I want to just give you a couple of examples here, because it's, it's important to get this rooted in the stories of people's lives. Uh, in Acts 12, there's this wonderful story of Peter. Um, in the early times of the persecution of the church, they really uh, get the Jewish hierarchy angry. Peter is thrown into uh, Herod's prison, waiting trial to be brought out and, and, and uh, tried for, having, for, for not having shut up, as they told him to shut up, about Jesus. Because we tell you, you can't talk about this anymore. And they say, well, who do we obey? God or you guys? And, and uh, not uh, obedience. Not he gets chucked in jail, but you have this amazing angel-led jailbreak out of, out, of, uh, out of Herod's prison, which is... It's amazing. Peter was almost was asleep for most of it. That, you know, I think of times when my father used to wake me up to go duck hunting at three in the morning, uh, and I was just sort of, uh, not, your toothbrush is there, your shoes are there, put your socks on. This this is how the angel was treating Paul in the morning, because uh, he, it, your coat is there, put that on, and and it was a jailbreak with chains falling off, doors swinging open by themselves, all the guards sweep sleeping sweetly through the whole event, not having a clue what was going on. A wonderful story. Uh, and, he's, and he goes to the, you see Luke's humor, actually, because he goes and knocks on the door of the Christians who are praying for him, and, and uh, they don't believe he's there. And so, the, so poor Peter keeps hammering on the door because they won't believe that it's real. Uh, and and um, Which is fascinating to me because it says they were, they, they were praying just before this. They were praying urgently. These experienced Christians, they're praying urgently for his release and so on. But when it happens, they don't believe it. 
Anything else is more likely. Okay? Uh, but anyway, not, that's a sidetrack. But, but, but uh, it's a wonderful story. But before that, James, another of Jesus' disciples, had been arrested and was thrown into Herod's prison. And he did not get out alive. He was executed. He was beheaded. It pleased the Jews. That's why they arrested Peter. Uh, why? Why did God permit this? Why did Peter get out and James not get out? Why, why James, we needed him. How can we lose him? Why did God permit this? Everybody rejoiced at, Peter, at Peter's release, as they should have, but uh, a lot of people there were still lamenting and still uh, uh, in mourning over the loss of James, because it wasn't much lighter. Uh, we are not given tidy answers to these questions. We are not given answers to well, why it was Peter that got out and not James, or why any of them had to suffer. Uh, we're not given neat answers. Uh, but what they did was they knew that this was part of a larger story, that story that's going to go on without us having the answers in ways that we can make us sort of sit down and say, well, okay. Second example, think for a minute about Mary's experience of the Christmas story. She was told by the angel Gabriel that she would give birth to a son named Jesus, and he would be called the Son of the Most High, and among other things, that his kingdom will never end. Can you imagine being told you're going to have a child, or knowing that you're going to have a child, and being told that his kingdom will never end? What in the world would you think? What in the world, if you took it seriously, what in the world would you think? Uh, anyway, she had to think about something, and her response was, I'm the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. And then the thing that strikes me, that shocks me, is says, then the angel left her. If I'd been in her shoes, I would say, wait, what do you mean getting away now? You haven't, you haven't told me anything. Gabriel, you can't leave now. What about, what am I going to tell Joseph? What am I going to tell my parents for crying out loud? Uh, Gabriel, do you know, by the way, that uh, these, the, the, the godly, biblically grounded people of Nazareth can legally stone me to death because I'm, I'm going to be pregnant with, without being married? Do you, are you aware of that? And what in the world am I meant to do with this, with this reality? And what exactly did you say Jesus was meant to do? I didn't quite catch what he said he was meant to do. Uh, because she was future blind about all, all that we now know and, and, and uh, uh, that, that would happen. But she knew perfectly well that terrible things happen in this world to faithful people. Um, what am I, how am I going to deal with this stuff? Um, but through it, she trusted God. Uh, and came up with this amazing affirmation, saying, yes, I'm on board with this. She knew about God's grace and peace, but think of the challenge to her trust. And she was very probably not older than 15. There are some early writings would talk about girls who are 18 who are old maids who, never, who will never get married because they're too old. Uh, and and uh, so she was very, very likely on the early edge of being, being a teenager. Uh, amazing. She's been told huge metaphysical truths about this child and what he would do. If you take them seriously and looking back on them, what we know is that this would be the hinge pin, the hinge pin turn of whole human history, for crying out loud. It's not just a great leader who's going to do fancy things and have statues made of him. This is a hinge pin, hinge pin in, in the way in, in God dealing with the human race. 
Don't you think that a God who can, who can create the universe with a word and incarnate himself as a human baby who is fully human and fully God, don't you think that he could manage to get Mary and Joseph a hotel reservation in Bethlehem? You'd think so, wouldn't you? But he didn't. The best they could do was manage in somebody's barn. But what a marvelous statement about what matters and what doesn't matter to God. That, that wasn't an accident, born in a stable. No, not an accident. Uh, but what does God care about? Uh, which was, and it became part of Jesus' whole life from start to finish. No stretch limousines, no TV crews, no celebrity interviews. But a very, very ordinary life uh, with ordinary trials, struggles, great dangers, suffering, escapes, and so forth. Uh, there's no slick answer to about the why and the when in the, of evil in the world. Uh, but there's the whole story of which Jesus is the main figure of God's redemption through Jesus himself. And the story of God rescuing us, <clears throat> Jesus, who was himself <clears throat> acquainted with grief, walks knowingly and willingly into the jaws of evil, brokenness, and extreme suffering. He experiences literally hell on his back, hell for all of us who had ever trusted him for, in all history. More suffering than any human being has ever dreamt of bearing uh, in the time he was on the cross to make this rescue because he loved us. Uh, I can't figure out all the problems about evil in the world and how this can be that and whatever, uh, but I, I hold, and I think many Christians do as well, that this is not an indifferent God who has is, who is, who is made this story, who is leading this whole process. A God who comes and does that for us by grace when we've just created a ruckus on our own uh, and, and done so little ourselves uh, is, is not a picture of a God who's without love, a God who's indifferent to us. Uh, this, is a, this, this is done by the same God whose face smiles a light on us and, and grace on us and this tells us more than anything else why we can trust that love and what that love is made of um, it's the same God whose attention is there for us and will give us peace so I'll just end with a conclusion of verse 27 here this isn't part of the blessing but this is just his summary of what, what you've just done so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them God, Moses, Aaron, the Apostle Paul, and the biblical writers, in calling us to these words, uh, it, it, he, he's given you a blessing that these words will put God's name on you. So as we hear, being in Christ, his name is put on us. We are in Christ. Paul uses the term in Christ, in him, in the Lord, where 150 times in the New Testament, because it's so important to him to see that this is not just an external relationship with someone far away. It's someone we are in Christ ourselves. Because of God's grace for you and working in you, if you trust in Christ, you are not struggling on earth to earn your citizenship in heaven. You have citizenship in heaven by grace. And you're living here on earth to honor that name, to honor him, to please him, to live for him. Uh, it's there by grace. Your citizenship's already established, uh, as, and he will bless you.
It's as if he's saying in this last, these last words, it's true, I'm really going to do it. Uh, it's, it, he's, he's sort of hammering some nails in at the end saying, this is really true. Don't think it's, it's just fancy words or to give you a, religious, a little bit of religious warmth. I'm really going to bless you. My face is really on you. I would, otherwise, I would not have told Aaron to pray this for you. I did not, uh, and, and I, if, I, if I did not intend to give it to you. So this is a great, amazing statement of God. This is who I, God's saying, this is who I am for you. Go and live this. Trust in this. Go and live for me in this world. Shall we pray together? Our God, we look to you and we pray thanking you for the amazing promises that were given so long ago to Moses, to Aaron, to the people then, and to Aaron's sons, to the people, and through your word given to us. Thank you, Lord God. Help us to live in the confidence and the wonder and the hope that knowing your face is with us can give us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.